This morning we are continuing this series that we started all the way back in January on identity. What does it mean for us uh, to be persons made in the image of God? What does that image look like as it's revealed to us in the person of Jesus? That's really what we focused on through Lent. Uh, these passages in John's Gospel that, that reveal to us the, the full, the new humanity of Jesus himself. And now in this season of Eastertide, as we move toward and anticipate um, Pentecost, I want us to, to kind of move into the other parts of the New Testament as we see who Jesus is revealed in the Gospels, then the New Testament goes on to help us lay hold of that ourselves that we want to identify with Jesus, that we want to, to bring who we are into him. So this morning, uh, before we, we make that leap into the epistles, we're going to spend one more day in the Gospel of John. So let me encourage you, if you have a Bible with you here at church or at home, uh, to open up to John 1 and to have that kind of out just to, to reference and consult this morning. Also, uh, for those of you who are at home, a reminder that today is uh, Communion Sunday. We're celebrating on the second Sunday this month because of Easter last week. So that means if you have things to celebrate uh, the Lord's table together, to have those ready at the end of this time so that you can, can serve them to one another. Some of you probably know that my... Uh, Former vocation before I went to seminary and, and studied to do full-time ministry was working as an ESL teacher. And I, I came to discover that the more I taught others to, to speak and to write English, the more I came to appreciate how difficult, how confusing our own language truly is. And one of the, the areas uh, of the English language, and I would actually say most languages that students uh, studying those as a second language find difficult is the use of prepositions. Right? They're, they're tricky words to figure out exactly how they go back and forth between two languages or even in our own native language. Maybe you've had an argument with your five-year-old about what sitting on their chair does or does not actually mean. Right? We can get into these debates. And you can appreciate why the use of prepositions is tricky. We have to, to think carefully about them. This week I was thinking about a simple preposition like the word into. We might think, oh, well, we know what that means. But think about the, the range of meaning you can convey with this one preposition as you put it into phrases. You could say, put the coin into that slot. You could say someone is really into that new Coldplay album, right? Showing a great interest in something. You could say, did you get into UVM? Someone ran their car into a guardrail. Or you could say, I don't want to go into that with you right now, right? To explore it further. Sometimes we talk about it in, in terms of a, a vocational choice. I want to go into teaching after I graduate. And it even functions as a, a mathematical term, right? We, we sometimes say, if you, if you take four into 12, if you're dividing two numbers, and then we, we give the, the product. 
Most dictionaries list at least half a dozen. Some of them list uh, nine or ten different definitions for this single preposition into. But even though there's a range in meaning, what they all have in common is, is what prepositions aim to do. Prepositions are words designed to help us understand the relationship between two things. Right? Prepositions tell us how two things interact or, or how two things are positioned with respect to one another. And so it shouldn't surprise us then that prepositions are incredibly important in our theolo theological expressions as well. We need prepositions to tell us how we are related to the person of Jesus. And I guess we have a lot of prepositions available to us. We could talk about Jesus being beside us. We could talk about Jesus being over us. I suppose you could talk about Jesus being beneath you, though I don't think that language appears in the scripture. But I want you to think about your knowledge of the New Testament, and there is one particular prepositional phrase that is far and away probably the most abundant uh, in, in the New Testament, especially the epistles. Take, take five seconds and see if you can guess with the person sitting next to you. What one prepositional phrase do you think shows up more than any other in the New Testament? How many of you guessed in Christ, right, or in him? This, this language appears roughly probably 70, 75 times in the words of the New Testament. And becoming, I think, a, a Christian, uh, learning and developing a Christian identity is learning how to take this grammar the New Testament uses and to translate that in, into life, into attitude, into behavior, into the things that we trust most deeply in. Christian identity, the scriptures indicate, is about moving who we are into the person of Jesus. Let me say that again. Christian identity, according to the scriptures, is about moving who we are into the person of Jesus. And so for the next several weeks, this is the question I want to consider with you. How into Jesus are you? How into Jesus are you? Right, do we live from that place of identity in the person of Christ? And so to help us begin to unpack that question about, about how we move our lives and our identities into Christ, I want to spend one last week on John's gospel. Remember, we, we followed the I am statements of Jesus through John, where, where Jesus says, this is who I am. This is my identity. These are the things we need to, to draw from Jesus and to receive from him. Last week, we read John's account of, uh, of the resurrection. And we talked about what it, what it takes to follow Jesus to the cross, into his death, into the tomb, so that we might also follow him into his resurrection life. But this morning, I don't want to look at the end of that gospel. I actually want to look back at the beginning in the prologue. 
and to see what, what it says there about who the person of Jesus is, why he has come, and, and where, what direction he has come to lead us into. So let me pray for us as we open to John 1, 1. Lord Jesus, I suspect that like, like I experience, many of us experience as we come into worship this morning, a tension in our identities. We're, we're hesitant to know who we are. We feel the expectations and pressures of others and, and things in our world to identify with. But Lord, your scriptures invite us to hide ourselves in you. To know our lives are are encompassed by who you are and what you have done for us. So I pray that you would quicken our hearts to trust in the revelation of your word spoken to us today. May the words of my mouth as I preach, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read John 1, 1 all the way down through verse 13. I'm going to leave out the few verses in the middle there about John the Baptist. But as you hear what I'm sure is a familiar passage of Scripture, I want you to notice the prepositional phrases in this passage. And think about the, 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 the relationships, the, the, the correlations, the positioning that they convey about who God is and who we are as his people. John the evangelist writes, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness... And the darkness has not overcome it. Moving down to verse 9. That true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. What does John's gospel here have to say about where God is and where we are in respect to him as his people? As you go about your, your daily lives, where is it that you, you relate to God? Where, where do you sort of believe or, or act toward God in terms of where he is? What's sort of your default position about, about where God is in relationship to you? 
At church, we use God's name an awful lot, but, but where do we assume he is? Where does he reside? Where does he live? I remember riding on an airplane several years ago, and there was a young girl seated in the aisle behind me. And I heard her ask her mom on takeoff whether we would see Jesus up in the clouds once we got a little higher. Right? Jesus, for her, was up there somewhere, out there somewhere. And we might, you know, sort of translate what she was talking about, this young girl, to what theologians call the transcendence of God. The God is over or above our world. And that conveys a certain truth, right? God made our world. He, he is sovereign over all things. Perhaps that's the, the default location we assign to God. He's, he's up there or over us or out there somewhere. And John's gospel here in, in chapter 1 does convey this idea of God's transcendence, right? He's there at the beginning before creation. Creation comes through God. But John's gospel wants to say more about where God is. It tells us that not only has God chosen to be over our world, but God has made a decision out of his desire, of, out of who he is to be in our world as well. And we see that most clearly expressed starting in verse 9. Where we're told that, that the Word, the Word who is Jesus, right, the Word that is the, the light of life, the, the light that gives light to everyone, John says in verse 9, was coming into the world. John says, Jesus has chosen to enter into our reality. Pastor and writer Sky Jathani suggests that this conveys to us part of who God is at a fundamental level. God is relational. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And because God enjoys that sense of relationality within his own being, within his, his triune persons, that spills over in his desire to share in relationship with us. So God does not only act upon the world from outside of it. God comes into it to be with us. That idea that God has come into our world to live with us is what theologians might call God's imminence. Right? He is both transcendent, he's over creation, but he's also with us. He's in our reality in our world. And I love the, the way the message translation renders verse 14 in this passage. Eugene Peterson, who, who paraphrased the message, says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. I don't know what your neighborhood is like. I know, you know, in Vermont you could live a mile from your neighbors or you could live like our neighborhood right, right next door. Our backyards are touching. And my neighbors live close enough that they see me walk out and get the paper in my pajamas in the morning. They see the mess of stuff thrown all over our yard and in our garage. They even live close enough to probably overhear some of the arguments that take place within our living room. Right, to move into our neighborhood, at least, means 
sort of having to deal with your neighbor seeing both that which is presentable and the things that aren't so presentable, right? Both, both together. But John is saying God has chosen to move into our neighborhoods, right? To see all of who we are, to be with us in all of that. That's God's intention. That's God's desired place of, of proximity. We happen to have some pretty awesome neighbors who have welcomed us. Some of them are, are part of the congregation here, the hams. And they've received both the, the presentable and the not so presentable. But not every neighborhood is so welcoming, especially to newcomers who move from the outside in. And so in verse 10, John's gospel tells us that even though Jesus has come into our world, even though Jesus came into the world that was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And verse 11 goes on to say that the world did not receive him. Right? There was a, a wall put up as Jesus came into the neighborhood. John's reminding us that there is something in our lives, in our, our sinful fallen nature, that resists God's desire to be close to us, to move into our neighborhoods. There's a, a branch of social psychology called systems theory, which I happen to find fascinating. And it, one, of the, one of the dimensions that it studies is how relational systems work. Think about your, your family or your community or your extended family and all the, the groupings of those relationships. And think about how certain ways of being, certain ways of doing things kind of get established in those family systems. One of the things that systems theorists or psychologists look at is how those, those relationships respond to new inputs, things from the outside coming in. And almost every system, regardless of, of its stated values, when something new enters the system, it becomes defensive. Right? It, it seeks to stabilize things, to protect its identity, its current way of being. Which is another way of saying most systems don't welcome change. At least not readily. Not until they absolutely have to. Maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Maybe you've you know, moved into a new place, moved into a new school, moved into a, a new set of family relationships and found resistance, pushback. Right? That explains one of the reasons why people so often find in-law relationships so tricky, right? You're stepping into a set of relationships, a family system that has existed long before you ever showed up, right? Ways of, of doing and relating and communicating. And as you bring who you are into that, into that system, right? It, it strains, it, there's tension there to assimilate to those things. So here, when Jesus enters into our world, into our lives, even into our churches, right, we can find his presence destabilizing. And it's destabilizing in part because of who Jesus is. John's Gospel says he's the, the light of the world. He's the glory of God revealed. He's the life that we so desperately need. And because he's all those things, he's different than us. 
He's different than our brokenness. And sometimes that difference, as much as we desperately need it, we, we resist it, right? It's painful to us. It exposes our, our insecurities or our shortcomings. And so even though Jesus is in our world, we may not be in to Jesus, at least not as much as we'd like to think we are. Verse 11 says, even though the world came into being through him, it did not recognize him. So what do we do? As long as, as Jesus is trying to sort of bring change to our lives from the outside in, we're likely to be in a defensive position, right? To protect our core identity, who we think we are. It's human nature. It's part of our, our sin nature. To defend ourselves against the change Jesus would bring to us. And so Jesus, I think graciously, and what John conveys here in, in chapter 1, Jesus, in order to bring the change we need in our lives, offers to move our lives into his. Right? He doesn't just act on us from the outside. He instead invites us to come into who he is. As verse 12 puts it, Jesus has come into our world so that we might believe into his name. And the preposition there in verse 12 is actually the same one you find back in verse 9. It's, it's ice in the Greek, or into. We're being invited to believe into the name of Jesus in the same way that Jesus has come into our world. The preposition there is one that typically communicates a, a movement, a, a transition, a transformation. In verse 9, we're told Jesus moves into our world. And in verse 12, we're invited to move our faith into his name, into his identity, into all that he will reveal and, and accomplish and offer to us as the Son of God. And Jesus asks us to take on his name instead of our own. Back uh, in the, the decade that I lived in China, one of the first things, typically, when you move to another country, often you'll be given a new name, right? A, a Chinese name or, or a name reflecting that language and culture. And so instead of the surname Kuns, one of my friends suggested I use the name Kong, which sounds similar. It's a traditional Chinese surname. And I, at one point, I had a, a very close friend of mine who shared that surname. And so she and I used to joke that I was her big brother and she was my little sister. Right? We shared the family name. And that was, that was encouraging to me because I was 6,000 miles away from my own family. And I, I was, was grateful to, to get to share a, a new name, to have that new identity. But we're maybe less inclined to receive the identity of Jesus if we're determined to be self-defined, self-made. But Jesus, in fact, is, is the one who bears the offense here in this relationship. Because Jesus comes to us, and remember, we are the ones he made in the beginning. He offered the, the image of who he is. He formed us in it. 
And yet we have broken it and distorted it and maligned it and malformed it in our own sin nature. And yet Jesus, as he comes into the world, he gives us this gracious offer to take on his name, to believe into his name. And in verses 12 and 13, we discover why that's so important. Why Jesus lends us his identity and his name. And it says, because those who believe into the name of Jesus are given the right to become children of God. By believing in Jesus, we come into the family. We share in the legitimacy of Christ the Son by taking on his name, by placing our faith in him. John goes on to say that we become children not born out of an act of of human decision or determination. We become children not born into a, a family line with particular expectations. Says that we come to be born into the family of God. We are born of God Himself. In John 3, Jesus will have a conversation with Nicodemus about this, about being born again by the Spirit. And this is vital because it's through believing into the name of Jesus that we begin to know God as our Father. Because we share in the identity of Jesus, the Son. Right? And we see that reflected throughout John's Gospel. Jesus will say, you know, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And then he'll invite us to have that kind of relationship of being in him, so that we might also be in the Father as he is. In his classic work, Knowing God, J.I. Packer says this, He says, what's the the best way to define what is a Christian? And he says, the best answer to the question, what is a Christian, is to reply, a Christian is one who has God for his father. A Christian is one who has God for his father. Let me ask you, is that the way you think of yourself? Is that the place you identify from most deeply as a human being? Do you know that you are a child of God who has God as a heavenly father? In just a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to receive the gifts of Jesus, take them into us. Let me ask you to think about as you take those gifts how that brings you into relationship with your Heavenly Father. I want you to consider this litmus test that J.I. Packer goes on to provide in that, in that same chapter of knowing God. He says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, then find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their Father. He says, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means they do not understand Christianity very well at all. He says, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Our understanding of Christianity 
cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And so as we receive the gifts from the Lord's table, let me invite you to pray that prayer, to be an adopted son or daughter of our Heavenly Father. And as we prepare to receive these gifts, I want to read to you just a couple more verses there in John 1. says in John 1.15, sorry, John 1.16, from the fullness of Jesus, from the fullness of his grace, we have received one blessing, one gift, one grace after another. It says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth have come through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, but, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, meaning Jesus. And he has made him known to us. At the table of Jesus, we are invited to receive one grace upon another. And those gifts in particular are the body of Jesus Christ broken for us and the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. And he's offered them to us, his very life to us, so we might take them into ourselves. And we might be brought into the power, the life, the resurrection of Jesus himself. So if you desire to be in Jesus Christ today, let me invite you to receive these gifts from his table.